Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for joining me. I am so glad that you are listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to always get the next podcast. I know the holidays are now on our doorstep. want to wish a happy Thanksgiving as uh, this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I hope that you get to have time with family and friends and really some time to reflect on the blessings that you have had and participated in over this last year. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. When the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, a young man applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in a newspaper, he went to the address that was listed, and when he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office. In the background, a telegraph clacked away. A sign at the receptionist counter instructed job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. The young man completed his form and sat down with seven other applicants. After a few minutes, the young man stood up, crossed the room to the door of the inner office, and walked right in. The other applicants perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? They muttered among themselves that they hadn't heard any summons yet. They took more than a little satisfaction in assuming that the young man who went into the office would be reprimanded for his presumption and similarly disqualified for the job. Within a few minutes, the young man emerged from the inner office, escorted by the interviewer, who had announced to the other applicants, Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has been filled by this young man. The other applicants began grumbling. Then one spoke up, saying, Well, wait a minute. I don't understand something. He was the last one to come in, and we were not even given a chance to be interviewed. Yet he got the job. That's not fair. The employer said, I'm sorry, but all the time that you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. This young man did, so he gets the job. Wow. The message was right there in front of each of them, but only one caught on and responded. I I have to imagine the other applicants felt very foolish, and as we read, they were angry. There are many in our world today asking for a sign from God. Maybe they've asked, or maybe you've asked, just let me know that you're real, that you're listening. Now, sometimes God answers such prayers in bold and unmissable ways. And I cannot tell you why he chooses to answer some and not others. But what I can tell you is that God is constantly giving you signs of his existence, like that that, uh, telegraph clicking out a message. He's constantly giving you signs of his existence, his love. He's giving you signs of his invitation for you to join his kingdom. And it goes like this. Every marvel of this world is a sign of God. The problem is, is that we see these marvels so often that we no longer recognize them as signs. You know, sunsets, thunderstorms, a star-filled night, the miracles of life, the sound of laughter or rainfall on a spring day, the smell of good food. I hope you get to experience that this Thanksgiving. The miracle of friendship, a breath of fresh air, the beating of our hearts, the complexity of the human mind to analyze and understand all that goes around in the world around us. And, you know, despite the popular opinion that science is the the enemy of God, it's not. 
it's a wonderful sign pointing to him that we could even think and comprehend in such a way. Yet so many of us hunger for a sign from God. Lisa Turquist wrote these words, We want big directional signs from God. God just wants us to pay attention. (laughs) I think there's some truth in there. If we paid attention more to the world around us, to what was happening, we'd see God everywhere. Mignon McLaughlin writes, When suffering comes, we yearn for some sort of sign from God, forgetting that we have just had one. Today, I want us to read God's Word in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. The crowds are impressed with Jesus, and they ask Him to give them a sign. What they do not realize is that Jesus Himself is the sign, the ultimate sign that they've been waiting for their whole lives, and now they must decide what to do. Will they accept Jesus or reject Him? They must decide what to do with Jesus, the bread of life. And, as we read the story... You and I must also decide, what are we going to do with Jesus? Because you and I were invited to believe, to take and eat the bread of life, who gives eternal life that starts now and extends forever into heaven. Let's read the text in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What what must we do to... Let me start that again. What, What must we do to do the works that God requires. And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow. Our story begins with the crowd finding Jesus. Somehow, he has crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I know I I picked up on a particular point, and there's some, some story we need to know ahead of time. This is not what they expected. And so, we need that bit of information so we can feel a little bit more of the weight of the story, a little bit more of what's going on. That's very important to know about the Gospel of John. John his gospel, more than Matthew, Mark, or Luke, 
John has more of a web of interwoven stories in his gospel. And so the story we have just read is connected to other parts of the gospel in very deliberate ways, and it has echoes that you can find throughout John's gospel. And those points of connection and those points of echo help to further develop the message. So I hope that I can make a few of those connections for you today as we go through this text. So our story begins with the crowd finding Jesus on the other side of the sea. The previous day, all of them, they were on the other side in the wilderness. Jesus was followed there by this crowd because of the signs they saw him perform. That's right. Those asking for a sign are following Jesus because of the signs he's already done. They are ever hungry for signs, but they are never full. The time of year that is happening right as we read this story is Passover. It's the Passover festival that's about to occur. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, as you would call it. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. The Passover is an important detail, and we should not ignore it. This was the meal eaten by Israel at the command of God just before they were released from captivity in Egypt, and they celebrated that uh, release from captivity every year. The Passover is God rescuing Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It's the Exodus journey, which includes the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and wandering in the wilderness where God provided water from rocks and manna from heaven to take care of Israel until they entered the promised land. So back to the crowd on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Seeing this crowd, Jesus, he performs a miracle. We didn't read it, but it's part of the previous story of the loaves of the fish, a miraculous feeding, feeding 5,000 people. The crowd is able to eat their fill. And the disciples, at the end, they gather 12 baskets of leftover. It's an amazing thing that's happened. And what's the crowd's response to that miracle of that miraculous feeding with, with bread? They want to take Jesus and make him king by force. I remember that detail for later. We'll come back to that. In response to this, Jesus slips away. He sends his disciples across the sea in their fishing boat. So, Jesus is by himself. He doesn't have a way to get across the sea, at least not a boat that he can manage on his own, the way we typically would manage a boat. And so, later, Jesus miraculously crosses the sea of Galilee by walking on the water and then joining the disciples. It's not a dividing of the Red Sea, but it's a miraculous sea crossing. And so that's where we begin to pick up our text today. The crowd realizes that Jesus isn't where they left him. Somehow he crossed over. They can do the math. They realize that something miraculous has happened, but they didn't see it. They're not sure what's going on. I'm certain with Passover at hand and remembering the crossing of the Red Sea, some of them were connecting the dots to Jesus. And that's where the text picks up. Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answers in his typical way, cutting beyond the surface. He challenges them. He doesn't answer their question, when did you get here? He challenges them with something that's a little deeper, not to work for food that's temporary, but for food that endures to eternal life. Do not miss that Jesus is telling them to work 
for eternal life, working for salvation. That's strange. We don't typically talk about that. But then he soon reveal, reveals that that work is actually belief. In verse 29, Jesus tells them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is how we obtain this bread of life that he's going to share, and it's himself and eternal life. It's through belief. And what's the crowd's response? Give us a sign. They are gluttons for signs. They have literally feasted on signs from Jesus. What sign could he give at this point that would be any more than they've already seen? They have followed him into the wilderness because of signs. They ate a miraculous meal of fish and bread. They have a suspicion that Jesus, now on the other side of the sea from where he started, that that's much more miraculous than it appears, and they would be right in that. How many more miracles do they need? They are trying to live on the bread of miracles, but miracles are not a bread that gives eternal life the way that Jesus, the bread of life, does. The crowd suspects Jesus is the Messiah. It's hinted at there. So they ask him for what all of Israel expected the Messiah to bring, manna. Bread from heaven, like what God provided to the Israelites when they wandered in the desert. And that story of manna in the desert is very important. It's, it's in several places in the Old Testament, and it's part of what we need to understand for our text today. So, well, I want to read a couple of those passages of Scripture. You can go to Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, and read about the manna. And it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they are to gather the other days. We'll stop there. So, God provides the manna. He gives instructions on how to provide it. And that's something that the Jewish people really grabbed onto. They really began to understand that the only way you get this bread of heaven is by obeying God's word. They had a close connection between God's word and the bread of heaven. And I need you to remember that as well. I'm going to ask you to remember a couple of things, and then we'll get back to them. Psalm 78, verses 21 through 25, also talks about the manna, and it says this, When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob, and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them them all the food that they could eat. So again, bread of heaven coming from God. In the Old Testament. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, there's another reminder of the manna. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. All throughout the Old Testament is the story of the manna. It's what the people expected. Manna from heaven was a sign of the power of God leading Israel into the promised land, and they expected the Messiah to provide that manna when he returned. So, when they're asking Jesus, give us manna, well, they're asking him to reveal himself as Messiah. 
Now, Jesus describes this bread of heaven not as from Moses, but from God the Father. And he's very careful in how he describes this. He says, it didn't come from Moses, it came from my Father. So, he's already alluding to who he is. The Father gives the true bread, and it gives life to the world. The crowd's excited. Yes! Always give us this bread. We want this. And then Jesus, he lets them have it. And we get one of the most beautiful proclamations that Jesus makes in the Gospels. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is what we all miss about signs. Show me a sign, God, so that I can believe. Show me that you're real. And when Jesus performs a sign in the Gospel of John, those signs are to reveal his nature. Not just to say that he's real, but to reveal who he is. That's what, that's what happens. His signs actually do two things. The first one I just mentioned, it helps us understand who Jesus is. So, in this case, Jesus reveals that he is the source of eternal life. He's, just, he's not just an all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not just happiness. He's not just a nice guy uh, that lets you know that you're accepted. He is the Son of God. He is the creator of all things. He's the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread. He is a sacrifice whose blood covers our sins so the angel of death would pass over us. Signs reveal Jesus. Signs tell us who we are believing in. But the second function of a sign is the part we never think about. We say, show me a sign, God. That's a request for God to meet with me, to speak to me, to make himself known to me. When you and I or I ask for a sign, we are asking of God with little thought to what the sign asks of us. When Jesus performs a sign, he is always asking of us. He's asking us to make a decision, to live with belief, to live under his authority instead of our own, to submit to him. Signs from Jesus make demands on you. If you were to continue to read John chapter 6 beyond what we read today, you will find the crowd and even the disciples struggle to receive what Jesus offers. They get the sign, and then they don't respond to their end of the bargain. So, what is Jesus asking of you in our text today? Well, he's inviting you to receive him the bread of life. This means that you are to put your entire trust and belief in him. To understand that Jesus is the bread of life means bread of life means you understand that life comes from Jesus. He is the source of life. Often people try to add Jesus to their life, to enrich their life, to fix their life, but you must see him as the source of your life. There is no life without Jesus. You cannot stop trying to live. Uh, You need, I'm sorry, you need to stop trying to live without Jesus. Not only is Jesus the source of life, he is your very survival in the deserts of life. And I want to speak for just a moment to those of you who are walking through unbelievably difficult circumstances. You know what those circumstances are, you know who you are, and you know that when you're in those circumstances, it is a desert. There is no life there. There is no end in sight. Watch out. When you are in the desert, you can end up chasing mirages. 
I always think of the old cartoons, Looney Tunes and such, and how they you'd have a character walking in the desert, and then they'd see uh, a scene appear in the distance of palm trees and water. It's a mirage. It's not real. It's a false hope. In the desert, you need the one true source of life, Jesus. If you want to get through the desert, you need to grab a hold of Jesus harder than you ever have before. I want to point out a little bit more about the connections built into the Gospel of John. In our text today, Jesus declares that he's the bread of life, the bread of heaven. Now, do the Jewish people understood the bread of heaven to be directly connected to God's word? I mentioned that earlier. And we can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. And we read these words, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mentioned earlier the Jewish people associated receiving manna with obeying God's word. And here's another text where we're told that it's not just manna, but the word of God that people need. Now, if that text sounded familiar, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If that sounds familiar, you may have read it when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness where he's there for 40 days, 40 nights. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness to, well, turn the stones to bread, his response is, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knows bread and the word of God are very closely connected. John's gospel contains another passage. It's no accident. In John 1, 1, you know, bread and word are really closely connected, how they are the source of life. John 1, 1, we have a description of Jesus, and it goes like this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then later we find out that word is Jesus, and then we just read today, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Word and bread are so closely connected. They are the source of life because they, understanding in this way, Jesus is the word and Jesus is the bread. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this understanding of Jesus, the source of life? New Testament scholar Gary Burge has an excellent commentary on the Gospel of John, and I want to lean heavily on that commentary here for the next few minutes. In regards to human response to Jesus, the bread of life, bread, Burge offers four options. And I want to take just a moment to look at each one. And so Burge proposes that there are these different options we have when we hear about Jesus, the bread of life. And that is that we can, instead of pursuing Jesus, the bread of life, we can pursue just bread, simple bread. That's the first option, and that's where most people are at. We, When he says bread, he means the immediate needs, physical needs that we have, physical bread, the, the stuff that gets us by today here on earth. And there's a point where immediate needs need to be met. They must be met. It's hard to have open spiritual ears if the growl of an empty stomach fills those ears. 
This is one reason why the ministries of the church are so important. Sometimes there is work to be done before a person is even ready to hear about Jesus. They need to have a fear quelled. They need to have an emergency answered. They need to be removed from a crisis, and then they can hear the good news of Jesus. Because before, they're in too much of a panic mode. During the bombing raids of World War II, thousands of children were orphaned and they were left to starve. The fortunate ones were rescued and placed in refugee camps where they received food and good care. But many of these children who had lost so much could not sleep at night. They feared waking up to find themselves once again homeless and without food. Nothing seemed to reassure them. And then finally, someone hit upon the idea of giving each child a piece of bread to hold at bedtime holding their bread. These children could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded them, today I ate, and I will eat again tomorrow. Immediate needs must be met. But at some point, you and I must move beyond temporary bread, bread that is physical right here, right now, and move on to eternal bread, bread that gives eternal life. Now, Gary Burge continues on, and he notes that additionally, in a world of affluence like our own, and a world of plenty, it is easy to confuse need and comfort, or need and want. He even wonders what Jesus would have done. He ha- Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and he fed them bread. But what would he have done had the crowd said, Hey, hey, Jesus, we need an ice cream break. Would he have performed the miracle of feeding 5,000 ice cream cones? Probably not. We want comfort and luxury, not just needs met. So we must move beyond temporary needs. We've got to get beyond what we selfishly want and look for the eternal, something deeper and stronger. And so Gary Burge talks about a second type of pursuit for bread, and he calls it the pursuit of religious bread. And it sounds better, but it also is dangerous. As another bread to be cautious of is religious bread. It looks very spiritual, Religious bread is activity that's wrapped up in religious appearance, but not Christ-like substance. When you think of a church, you can think of all the stuff we do at church. It's not bad stuff, but we can't feast and receive eternal life on worship songs and sermons or even sacraments. They're important to the life of the Christian, but none of them give the life that Christ gives. So, we need to be careful. Don't try to eat the bread of religiosity. Eat the bread of life, Christ. A hallmark of unhealthy religious bread is that it often tries to force Jesus to serve your own agenda. If I do this, then I can get what I want from Jesus. And when we talked about the the feeding of the 5,000 today, the crowd tried to force Jesus to be their king. Not on his terms, but theirs. And that is a problem. We can't do that. We can't make Jesus do the things that we want. We need to submit to his lordship. Whenever you see religion wielded to get power in this world, ah, we're doing the same thing. We're forcing our agenda into religious bread. A third response that Burge talks about is just flat-out rebellion. Um, At the end of John 6, that's where most of the crowd and the disciples are. They don't like what Jesus is saying. They, they ultimately reject his teaching because it doesn't suit their expectations. And even through the story, the crowd calls Jesus rabbi, but they don't treat him like a rabbi. They reject him. 
And so often we are tempted to reject Jesus when he doesn't meet our expectations. That's not how it works. He calls the shots. He is the author of life. He is the bread of life. And the fourth response is the one that we want. So we want to be fed by God. We are to let God feed us in a few simple ways. One, it's that Jesus is the bread of life. And so we want to obey his word. And obedience is tough because obedience means we're no longer trying to tell God what to do. We are submitting to what God has told us. That's not easy. Another key is that we are to become eternally minded in a world that's obsessed with the present. That's a challenge. But the question is, is, will you trust in Jesus as the bread of life? I want to close with some words from Lauren Winter. I found these, and I I really liked what she was saying about uh, the extravagance of knowing God. Uh, Now, I have spoken about meeting needs instead of wants, but she does highlight the abundance that is found in Jesus, the bread of life. And what will you say? So, here's what she writes. I once asked a circle of people from church, if Jesus is the bread of life, what kind of bread is he? Not one of them said he's a small round wafer that we use at communion. And I wrote down their answers, and I think they make a good prayer. This is what she's writing. And she says, the answers were, he's like a bagel, or rye toast, toast with jam, morning glory muffins, chocolate tea bread, rosemary ciabatta, my grandmother's sourdough, my grandmother's challah, French toast, crusty baguette. This gorgeous list expands our attention from the usual thought, if God is bread, then God meets my needs, to the category of delectation. If God is chocolate tea bread, God is not pannery provision. God is also about delight. It is one of the beauties of the metaphor of bread, that the one who made the hands that made the bread contains both enjoyment and necessity, sustenance and pleasure. I like that. So, don't think of following Jesus as just some difficult, austere thing that we do. It is wonderful. It is good. It is an abundance of life. How will you respond to Jesus, the bread of life? Will you believe? Will you receive? Will you put your trust in Him? Let us pray. Lord, this world is full of, hey, let's call it imitation bread. Bread that looks like it'll give give life, but it's not Jesus, the bread of life. Show each of us the places that we have misplaced our hopes for real life. Help each of us to be a people who receive Jesus and then share Jesus, the bread of life, with others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.